Good morning. It's Tuesday, December 20th, and this is Finger Lakes Today, presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Josh Durso. And I'm Rebecca Swift. Coming up later this hour, we've got Chris Lejewski from the Montezuma Audubon Center in studio, as well as Jamie Polisoto from Genesee Brewing to talk about the recent rebranding of their Cream Ale, and Dr. Michelle Reed from the Seneca Falls School District to talk about the statewide teacher shortage they are facing. But first, we need the latest holiday travel forecast and for that I'm gonna ask I'm gonna have Josh chime in <sighs> yeah so what are we looking at so we're starting to get a clear picture of what this weekend is going to look like uh, it's not all bad if you're going to be traveling here's my caveat if you're going to be traveling by road here in the Finger Lakes or Central New York or even Western New York it probably won't be that bad but if you're traveling by air you're probably going to be affected by what's happening over the next four days. Okay, so first things first, calm, cool, and cloudy today and tomorrow. Lows in the 30s, perfect travel weather. Uh, really no complaints there. Uh, rain Thursday, still not bad. It's just going to be rainy, like a, a cold, rainy day. Uh, but no slippery ice, nothing like that, which is good. Things get a little more complicated on Friday. So check out that high and that low. Yes, that's a high temperature of 51 and a low of 12 uh, flash freezing. That's going to be a big concern. Yes. Uh, and then, of course rain turning to snow so what are you going to be watching for you're going to be watching for uh that layer of ice that forms underneath the snow so you'll have that snow on top the ice underneath and that tends to be when people uh, aren't really looking out for ice and all of a sudden you've got accidents left right and center yeah snow on christmas eve not a ton but it's going to be frigid cold especially compared to what we've been uh, seeing over the last few weeks things are going to improve a bit on uh, Christmas Day, but again, we're talking about a high temperature of around 20. You know, Christmas morning, it's going to be like 12, 14 degrees. Not, not really a banner day, even though we might see some peaks of sun by the end of it. So, so you're that's the, me it's not going to be a white Christmas. I think it's going to be a white Christmas. You think it will be? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like a probably a dusting to a couple inches of, of snow. I don't will think it anybody snow is... on Christmas or will it just be like, will there be snow on the ground? I think there will be snow on the ground Christmas morning. That is my far too early prediction. Okay. We're what, four days, we're five days away. Yeah, we're going to get enough snow. Here's my, here's my prediction. We're going to get enough snow on Christmas Eve. And obviously it's going to be between 10 and 20 degrees. Nothing's melting. It's going to stay. Um, yeah. So we're going to get enough that it will cover things up and everything will look white uh, Christmas morning. And all right, great. So let's get to some news. Yeah. Josh, we finally got an update on the incident involving Chief <laughs> Fabian Rivera in Macedon. What can you tell us about what happened? Yeah, so this is a, a rather dramatic situation, it seems, uh, from the accounts that we've heard thus far. Uh, the Times of Wayne County is reporting that deputies were called to Flaherty's in Macedon on Saturday. That's a restaurant. Uh, the chief was reportedly intoxicated, causing a scene and refusing to leave despite being asked. Uh, he said a bunch of things which we couldn't independently confirm uh, and apparently fell multiple times in the process, injuring himself, minor injury. Uh, he was sent to the hospital, Strong Memorial Hospital, and immediately thereafter went on unpaid leave. It seems like he went, like he put himself or he went on leave himself. I'm not sure if that was encouraged by town officials, but 
Now we have the investigation. That's what we talked about yesterday. Uh, the town board is investigating and waiting for the sheriff's office to finish its reporting of the incident. So we should see, uh, we should get a bit of an update here on this one over the next few days. But for now, uh, he is on unpaid leave and the uh, police department is simply uh, existing up there. All right. And we <laughs> haven't gotten a statement from him, he himself yet. No, no, no one, no one has gone on the record yet um, in uh, Macedon. Uh, I would assume that town officials, town board and town supervisor will wait until their next public meeting. Sure. And that will be when we should hopefully start to iron out some of the, the details here or right. determine what's going to be next for this police department. Uh, but Nate, we need to talk sports because the Sabres are on a tear. Yep. Four games an absolute tear. They won the end last night in Vegas, 3-2, uh, to take the, all three games, a little mini West Coast swing. Got a couple days off now. They'll take on Paul Russo's Tampa Bay Lightning on Friday in Key Bank Center. <laughs> but, yeah, four in a row. I've gotten good goaltending, which is something that I've been worried about uh, all season. And the last two games, have, last three games, to be, to be fair, have been really good in the goaltending crease. So four games in a row and knocking on the door for a playoff spot. I, I was going to say, what, if, you're, if you're a fan following along here, um, this season must feel like absolute whiplash. Highs and lows yes. already, and we're halfway through December. Yeah, so all I've been saying all year, you know, it's a young team, so we knew that was going to kind of happen. Didn't expect them ever to lose eight games in a row. That, like that happened in about early November-ish. And so that really is going to set them back a, a, a really fair amount. It's going to be hard for them to make the playoffs. But I came into this year thinking that, you know, if they contend for a playoff spot, not necessarily make it, but are there towards the end of the season and kind of hanging around that it's a successful season. So it's looking that way. All right, and what else are we looking at in sports today? Uh, the Bills are a big storyline, and we have this storyline every week with the Bills. We're already talking about the weather, and the Bills are going to be in Chicago on Saturday for that game on Christmas Eve at 1 o'clock, and they're already talking about they may need to move it. You know, temperatures are, are rumored to be in the single digits, a lot of snow coming into the Chicago area between the eight, later in the week and into the weekend. So Detroit plays away again this week, so we could see another Bills game in Detroit. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but there's – been preliminary talks about it um, that they could move that game possibly, but I don't think it. I think they'll play in Chicago. So my, I guess my my argument to that would be I don't think things are going to be much better. Judging by what we're seeing out of the forecast, the Midwest in general is going to be in tough shape, and if travel in and out is a concern, I don't think Detroit is going to be much better than uh, Chicago. Yeah, that's for sure. Unless they're solely making that decision on on you know it just being very cold, in which case I'd say. Play the damn game. Yeah, if, they, if it's just if the snow kind of dissipates a little bit and it's just going to be cold, they'll play the game. We saw a game played last night in Green Bay, about 15 degrees, so <laughs> they're not too worried about that. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Josh, uh, getting fans, players, staffers uh, in and out of the game is the highest priority of the game. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily the conditions at game time, but more so before and after getting fans safely there and back. There and back. Right. Uh, high school basketball, we had some games last night, right? Yep, not a crazy slate, but there was some good games. Um, but looking more into tonight, uh, Paul and I will be for uh, FL1 Radio, FL1 Sports at Waterloo tonight for Newark at Waterloo Boys. That should be a really good game. Newark is having a really good season, and so is Waterloo. So um, both teams are undefeated in Finger Lakes East play so far this season. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Uh, Paul and I will have that game, 730 tip-off. It'll be the video stream, and our audio will be on the school's huddle stream. Yep. as well as our audio on Mixler. We'll push those links out to social here as we get more and more into the day and also have an article up on fingerlex1.com in the sports section where you'll be able to easily find that link. 
And I'm going to put both of, you on the, both of you on the hot seat right now. I want a prediction. I want a prediction of the outcome tonight. Give me a, give me a, a win-loss. Who's um, going to win? Who's going to lose? I don't, think I, I don't think I can think about who's going to win or lose, but it's going to be a close game you know, within five points, if I had to say. It can go either way. Nate Bailed. Paul, don't disappoint me. Well, luckily for you, I won't then. Um, I'm going to roll Newark. I mean, they're kind of my preseason-ish pick anyway in the East. Uh, do agree with Nate. Probably going to be really a game of whoever has the ball kind of in the last minute with like a marginal lead enough where you'll probably get the free throw game coming into play a little bit and stuff like that. But uh, I'll, I'll roll Newark for tonight. I uh, do agree, though. Probably going to be close. So really looking forward to it. Both right, teams, right. both teams tied atop, as Nate said. Really, it's it's an early season battle atop the uh, Finger Lakes East boys side of things, tied at first place, and also right next to each other. If you really want to go further down the line in sectional in Class B one, so it's a uh, lot to play for, and I guess early in the season, late December. Absolutely, love to see it. All right, so coming up on the other side of the break, we'll be talking with Genesee Brewing to talk about a major rebrand of a popular beer. Stay tuned. The difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4574. And like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years, and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, 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 DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaiguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. 
Get a free quote at FingerLakesInsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics, celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks, fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday, Miris, and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes Today. Yesterday, our very own Samantha Parrish caught up with Jamie Palosoto, Genesee Brewing's brand director, to talk about the recent rebranding of Jenny Cream Ale. It's been a staple in their lineup for decades, and now it has a new look. Palosoto talked about what went into that decision and why it was time for a refresh. Check it out. Um, the Genesee Brewery just has this really rich, long history um, of what I would consider brewing traditions. Um, we've been around since about 1978, and in some capacities even before then, um, as the breweries and you know breweries around Rochester were kind of popping up and and consolidating. Um, you know, I think the history of the brewery is really cemented in um, just constantly moving forward, moving the brands forward, moving you know um, technology forward, uh, and really kind of thinking of the next step. Um, the brewery tradition and I think the history of it definitely has its ups and downs. Um, and I'd like to think, you know, love to think at this point, you were definitely on that spike up for the brewery um, and the brand and the and kind of the city of Rochester and the surrounding areas. So then my next question is, what made that success possible? And if someone asked you what made Jenny stand out over the years and grow, what is that? Um, I think it's really kind of an inward inward facing thing. I think first the people, the people of the surrounding area is definitely what why the Genesee Brewery is still here. Um, without, you know, without our neighbors, um, local businesses, and even people, um, obviously our people that are buying our product, you know, we just we wouldn't stand a chance in today's in today's world. So I think that loyalty is really something that that has contributed. But it's also just the resilience of the brewery. I really think when you look back, I, I think it's safe to say like the Genesee Brewery is really now stands as like this icon of resilience in the upstate New York market. It's been around since 1978 and still finding success, still investing money, still employing people. Um, and I think people really appreciate that now more than ever. Um, and that's why I really do think we're on the, you know, on the cusp of our next, um, of our next big Genesee Brewery uh, um, you know, time for our consumers, just because it truly does stand as this wonderful icon of resilience. We've been through everything. I mean, we went from prohibition to, um, you know, the economy, uh, whether it's been good or bad, you know, people always want beer and we're always happy to make sure that they get their high quality beer whenever they need it. Why was it time to rebrand the Jenny Cream Ale? Yeah, I think connecting back to what I just said, um, you know, one of the objectives of the rebrand was to really celebrate our heritage. And, you know, the brand is known for, you know, really great quality, always very consistent, you know, quality beer. And when we took a look at our packaging, we just thought, you know, it's been a couple of years. I bet we can, um, I bet we can update it and add a couple of things to really connect with the consumer and what the consumer and what our fans are really, you know, looking for in our beer. Um, so we decided to take a look at that. Um, we cleaned it up, um, maybe modernize it a little bit. Um, it's very sharp, um, very eye-catching. We wanted to break through at, at you know, when your um, customers walking in a store, we wanted to make sure that we stood out against other beers. And, you know, we also 
updated the Genesee cream ale uh, packaging to bring it back into our heritage look and feel. So now when you go shopping, you can see Jenny beer, Jenny light and Jenny cream ale all looking very similar. Um, so it's not hard to find anything anymore. So everything's together. Um, and again, it's really was about bringing that heritage and, and modernizing a little bit for today's customer and to make sure that Genesee was visible um, when you're walking in a store and looking for it. So what are you most excited about when it comes to this rebrand? Honestly, I'm most excited to get the Genesee Cream Ale packaging back with the family. Um, I think it's, I think customers um, appreciate the heritage of Genesee Cream Ale. And now that we're um, connecting it back to the kind of the master brand or the mother brand of Genesee in a very strong way, I think that I'm excited to see um, customers' reactions to that. I really think they're they're going to appreciate us bringing Cream Ale, you know, back with Genesee, big and huge, um, you know, and really, um, you know, big and huge on the packaging and really celebrating where, you know, still one of America's beloved beers is is you know from Genesee, right in Rochester. Are there any other rebrands currently in the works? So if you have noticed our specialty lineup, we have been uh, moving into a new. Um, a new look and feel for those as well, not as far of a step away from, um, you know, from anything that was existing in the market. Uh, but we, um, we knew with Genesee specialties such as Ruby Red Coals, Tropical Pineapple Coals, Cran Orange Keller Beer, um, we have something very special that um, the customers, especially in the Rochester Buffalo Syracuse markets really, really love. So we didn't want to mess with those too much. Um, so what we really did, the objective of that um, update was just to really add the Genesee Brewery branding much stronger on that to remind people that these, these amazing high quality taste, you know, forward, some of the best beers of summer and fall um, are coming from the Genesee Brewery. Um, so that's another exciting update. So you'll see right now um, we'll launch um, Springbok and then I'll be in the new look and feel and then Ruby Red Kolsch and Tropical Pineapple Kolsch, et cetera, will follow. Um, and you'll see that beautiful Genesee specialty logo front and center on all the packaging. So Genesee Brewing is very synonymous with Rochester and the Finger Lakes region. So as a company, how did it see this major success, but still stay rooted in the Rochester Finger Lakes region? Yeah, I think, you know, um, the highs and lows of being in business, you know, close to 150 years, I think you really, really truly learn where you come from and who is going to support you on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that has really driven us to make sure that we're not only like in the community, but part of the community. We love to get in the community. We love to make connections. We love to, um, even as an organization um, and employees, you know, the employees like to get out and volunteer, um, help out where we can, um, just be an actual community member and not just another business with an address in Rochester. And I think that's really gone far and people recognize that. It's really at the core and a value of all of our employees across the Genesee Brewery. Um, and we enjoy it. We enjoy being part of the community and we're very proud of the community um, that we serve. And, you know, you can see it, you know, and all, everybody, the brewery is always wearing something Genesee and always happy to tell the story about how happy they are to work for the company and how happy they are to support the community that supports us. Is there anything else that you want to add about Genesee Brewing? Um, I think, you know, it's just so exciting. I think the people of Rochester and the Finger Lakes region have been such amazing supporters of the Genesee brand uh, throughout the years. And, 
you know, I think everyone um, is going to be very happy to see um, a, a lot of new things from the Genesee Brewery coming up, a lot of exciting things, a lot of new products, um, new packaging, uh, new events, new ways we want to talk to people and get people into the brew house. Um, so um, I guess cheers to everybody for their support over 140 years. I know generations of family members who have supported us and, you know, we're looking forward to this generation and forward generations um, and us connecting with them in really exciting and memorable ways as well. All right. Thanks to Sam and Jamie for that. Now it is time for our monthly chat with Chris Lajeski from the Montezuma Audubon Center. Chris, welcome to the studio. Good morning. Good to be here. Uh, so Lots of opportunities for folks to get involved out at the Audubon Center. Uh, Christmas bird counts underway, happening now. Uh, what are we seeing? What's happening? Yeah, just yesterday we had our annual Montezuma Christmas bird count. Over 40 volunteers came out, spent the day with us birding all around the Montezuma Wetlands Complex. It was a, a brisk but uh, very productive day in terms of of birds. We found about 78 different species of birds, which is over the 10-year running average of about 75, so just slightly above average, which is nice. Uh, we found about 25,000 individual birds, which was uh, slightly below average, and I, I got to think that that was in part because of the cold conditions that we've been experiencing and the marshes and some of the waterways starting to freeze over. Ooh. That is pushing the waterfowl, ducks, geese, and swans, a little bit further south where it's slightly milder and there's more liquid water. Um, so great time birding. After the day of birding, we reconvened back at Montezuma Audubon Center for a potluck dinner. And of course, the favorite, at least for me, was the compilation of the data where we have the reading of the tally sheets. And it's always exciting to hear who saw what, where, did we see that northern strike? How many bald eagles did we see? Yes, and yes, we did find Shrike, and yes, we saw lots of bald eagles. 65, actually, bald eagles were found wow. yesterday by those 40 uh, birders, and uh, that almost broke the record of 68 bald eagles seen just five years ago. So bald eagle populations still strong and doing quite well at the Montezuma Wetlands Complex. I was going to say, is that something that, that you guys tend to keep an eye on a, a bit closer than some of the other species that you, that you watch out there? It's a... It's certainly one of the most well-known bird species and one of the most common questions that we get at Montezuma Audubon Center from visitors. Where can I go to see bald eagles? And pretty much if you're within the Montezuma area, the refuge or the New York State DEC properties, the Audubon Center certainly, you're probably going to find a bald eagle at any point during the year. Uh, now, Yesterday was the Montezuma Christmas bird count, but we have many other Christmas bird counts going on across the Finger Lakes region all the way through January 5th. So uh, people, if they're interested, they can go to christmasbirdcount.org, christmasbirdcount.org, and they can find an Audubon bird count near them. And we have them going on from Rochester to Syracuse, Ithaca, Geneva, Skinny Atlas, the Western Finger Lakes as well. So opportunities to get out, bird, get some exercise. That's good for people, certainly. And it's, it's certainly beneficial to know where birds are because that will help us take conservation action to protect birds and the places they need. 
And our uh, species spotlight this month is the short-eared owl. Tell us a little bit about that, why don't you? Well, the, the short-eared owl is a, a bird that occasionally comes into the Montezuma wetlands complex during this winter season. It's a fairly large bird, uh, an, an owl, and it, as opposed to being uh, nocturnal, it's more of a what we call crepuscular. So that's there's your word of the day there you go there's your water cooler (laughs) word of the day active right around uh sunrise and also sunset so you don't have to stay up until midnight to hear this bird you can be out at three four o'clock in the afternoon now or six seven o'clock in the morning and potentially see this bird flying low over grassland and marsh habitats you're not going to find them flying through forested ecosystems uh, it's mostly a, a beige, brown, streaky bird. Occasionally, you'll see little tufts of feathers sticking up on its uh, top of its head. Not ears, of course, but the ears are just on the side here. But, but they do appear to be short ears, hence the name short-eared owl. And um, we have seen these birds in the Finger Lakes region already this winter. They've been spotted down at the Finger Lakes National Forest. And I would expect at some point during the winter season, we will start to see them at the Montezuma Wetlands Complex. Again, we're going to be looking for grassland habitats, uh, agricultural fields potentially, and open marsh habitats. So uh, just curious, uh, obviously you're at the center a lot. You're spending a lot of time uh, at the property. Curious, what is like a normal, so if you were going to kind of predict how often you will see uh, this owl throughout the course of, of the winter months, What's a what's sort of an average year look like on that side? Mm. Well, it's all about location. And if you're in the right location, again, wide open habitats, not forested ecosystems, you have a good chance of seeing a short-eared owl during this winter time frame, again, early on in the day and later on in the afternoon hours. Uh, another species that we could potentially see here in the Finger Lakes region, again, daylight hours, would be the snowy owl. And, and those typically come down here during the winter months. It's usually the juvenile birds that uh, are just setting up territories. Uh, they're figuring out how this migration works, and they're probably going to be moving with other juvenile birds southward out of Canada. And, um, and we'll probably see them at the Finger Lakes Regional Airport right here in Seneca Falls. Rochester Airport and Syracuse Airport on occasion have the snowy owl also. Wide open spaces. Uh- So the visitor center, we've got a couple uh, changes, seasonal changes, probably those that a lot of us expect. Closure? Well, for the Montezuma National Wildlife Refuge, yes. The the visitor center right down on 5 and 20 here in Seneca Falls, that is closed during the winter season. Uh, Also, the wildlife drive, that is very popular with folks who would like to drive adjacent to marsh habitats and grasslands. That is also closed for the winter season. Both of those amenities at the refuge will reopen come about mid-March, weather permitting. If we still have a decent snowpack and, and a lot of snow on the ground, then likely to remain closed. But places to still go and visit at the Montezuma Wetlands Complex would be the Montezuma Audubon Center up on Route 89 in Savannah, and that's where I am every day. (laughs) And uh, we have wonderful staff and volunteers on hand to welcome visitors, direct them to our 200 acres and two miles of trails. Uh, And then also the 
New York State Department of Environmental Conservation properties around the, the area of Savannah, New York, where there's uh, 8,000 acres and about 20 miles of hiking trails for people to explore. And those those driving trails, you can still walk them during the winter, or do they close completely to all, all forms of foot and uh, road traffic? The National Wildlife Refuge Wildlife Drive is closed to all traffic and, and even foot traffic, especially now because now they have op- the refuge staff have opened up that area to a bow hunting ah, for deer. Yeah, and so we want to keep everyone safe, and uh, that's why that is activity is prohibited. And uh, as the snow starts to fall, it's going to be looking a lot more like winter this weekend. Uh, how about some snowshoeing? There, there's a tough word to say this morning. <laughs> snowshoeing excursions. What do you got for us? Well, once again, Montezuma Audubon Center is proud to partner with the New York Canal Authority, and we're leading the On the Canals snowshoeing excursions every Saturday starting January 7th, going right on through February 25th. Uh, they're going to take place at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. every Saturday. Uh, so these are free excursions because of the support of the New York Power Authority and the Canal Authority. And uh, so people can expect to enjoy about a one-mile snowshoe on fairly flat terrain across the Montezuma Audubon Center. We'll take people through the forested habitats right adjacent to some marsh habitats and even through grassland areas where we would expect to see songbirds, probably northern harrier, bald eagles are a good bet, and if we're lucky enough, we might see a short-eared owl as well. Uh, We typically are out there for an hour and a half to two hours, and snowshoeing is a great winter activity, very uh, a great way to stay uh, fit and get a lot of exercise because even though the snowshoes don't weigh a lot, you are sinking down slightly into the snow, not all the way down. They do help you stay right up towards the top of the snowpack. But that activity of sinking down a little bit and then lifting the legs up and moving forward, that uh, can, can give you really good exercise, get the heart rate going. So this is perfect for everyone from ages 5 to 95. Ooh, and we have snowshoes wow. available for everyone. They don't have to bring their own. We've got the children's sizes, we've got adult-sized snowshoes, but we do ask people to register in advance because we have a limited supply of snowshoes, and we'll take about 16 people every time we go out for the excursion. People can go to montezuma.audubon.org and then click on our Programs and Events button to register for all of our upcoming On the Canal snowshoeing excursions. And programming made possible uh, by donations that ultimately come to you guys uh, throughout the year, but especially during this time of year, the annual uh, appeal is underway, has been now for a few weeks. We talked about it the last time you were here. Uh, where do you guys stand, and in, in, uh, what's, the, what's the call to action here? It's been a great Uh, several weeks at Montezuma Audubon Center because so many people, dozens of people, have already donated to Montezuma Audubon Center and supporting our bird conservation work that is protecting birds in the places they need and also inspiring people to take action on behalf of birds. Um, And so far, we have raised over half of the amount of money that we need to unlock a $7,000 match. Uh, so over uh, over four thousand dollars already raised. So we need to raise just another three thousand dollars here over the next couple weeks to unlock this match, and that will help us to inspire young people in particular 
to take action on behalf of birds in their communities across the Montezuma wetlands complex uh, because birds need it now more than ever. So people can go to Montezuma, again, .audubon.org. That's Montezuma.audubon.org and click on our donate button to support our work here and inspire the next generation of conservation leaders. Come on, people, get to it. Right? Get to it. I mean, I'm fully engaged. <laughs> Speaking of bird action, um, <laughs> I've been noticing, uh, you know, when I'm driving, when I'm outside, I've been seeing a lot of the, are they called flying bees? Yes. And it, it, it I, I've been seeing so many of them that I started thinking, that would be a great question to ask. Chris, like, is mm -hmm. it true that the bird that leads the V is like the big man on campus? Like, is that the bird that everybody looks to? Like the strongest bird? The respected bird. The coolest bird, bird yeah. The, the flying Vs, sometimes you see eyes or check marks in the sky, and those are probably the waterfowl that you're seeing up okay. in the sky, and most likely uh, snow geese and Canada geese, and sometimes we see our trumpeter swans and tundra swans also in those V formations. And they do take turns taking the lead role. And so once a bird has taken that lead and has done a lot of the work and cut through the wind for other birds to follow behind a little bit easier, then that lead bird will fall back and another bird will take the lead. So it's they're working together. It's cooperative migration and survival. And when they all work together, then they can survive migration, survive the winter, and then hopefully continue back to breeding areas where they can have a successful nesting season. Amazing. And for my final question, I think you probably knew that this one was coming. Uh, Northern Strike. So last time you were here, yeah. you told us a story about how these birds hunt and the fact that they are cannibalistic does that word apply when we're talking about birds eating other birds i mean well not necessarily it's 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 uh these birds like northern shrike do go after and eat other birds um and that happens even with bald eagles bald eagles are opportunistic and they may even uh eat small ducks or, or injured <sighs> geese it's Sorry. survival of the fittest it's it's sometimes difficult to think about and watch but it is uh, a difficult life for these wild animals out there. And so the Northern Shrike was seen yesterday during the Montezuma Christmas bird count. Just one was seen by one of our birders yesterday. And uh, I would expect a few more to come in to Montezuma and also other open areas, grassland and agricultural fields across the Finger Lakes region. But I just want to make it very clear for Paul because him and I had this conversation very quickly. How do they hunt? Because Paul didn't believe me at first. Oh, well, Paul, yeah. they. So a, a lot of times these northern shrike will go and uh, with their talons and sharp bills grab onto a songbird, and they might ingest that bird right there and then. However, if they want to store it for another time, they will impale the bird on a hawthorn tree for later uh, meals, and and that is uh, a, a, way, a unique adaptation that Northern Shrike has developed. It's a bird eat bird world out there. It sure is, Paul. Do you have anything? Any reaction? Do you believe me now? I don't. I don't know if I necessarily didn't believe you, but I just. I that's some demonic stuff. I. I. I 
it's nature. It's no, just nature. No, it's I, 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 I know nature. Nature. <laughs> nature can be scary sometimes, or as Twitter says, nature can be metal sometimes. So I, that's all I got on that front. I guess I don't know. Well, thanks, Paul, <laughs> and thank you so much, Chris, for coming in. Um, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about a teacher staffing shortage happening in New York State with Seneca Falls Superintendent Dr. Michelle Reed. We'll be right back. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry. Dr. Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. If you're looking for a dentist who offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff, Canandaigua Dentistry will go the extra smile for you. Committed to local veteran organizations as well as seniors in the Finger Lakes, Canandaigua Dentistry offers discounts for both as well as an in-house dental membership program for those without insurance. The office is located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or you can give them a call at 585-394-5230. Visit CanandaiguaDentistry.com to learn more about the team and follow on Facebook and Instagram today. As the months turn colder, make sure you're able to be comfortable. Don't get left out in the cold this winter. Choose DeSanto Propane. Over 8 million households already heat with propane because a propane furnace can heat air up to 25 degrees warmer than electricity. Propane radiant heat can improve air quality in a home by cutting down on dust and allergens and more. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com for more info. D-I-S-A-N-T-O Propane.com or call toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today. Oh, 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 DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisrigney.com. Welcome back to Finger Lakes today. Now, we sat down with the Seneca Falls Central School District Superintendent to discuss how they're handling what's being called a staffing crisis throughout the state. 
tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of your background and how you came to be in the role that you're currently in. Wonderful. Um, I'm actually originally from North Carolina and I have always wanted to be in education. So of course, I uh, went to college uh, in Virginia for a while at Radford University to get my master's uh, and also my bachelor's of science and then found my way up north to receive more education. And then I became a teacher once I moved to New York State. So I was a teacher for about you know 15 years, an English high school teacher. And then I found my way into administration and really um, started to move in that route. I was a director of curriculum um, and then an assistant superintendent. And then I was hired here July 1st of 2022. So this is my first position as a superintendent and also in Seneca Falls. So um, where in North Carolina, if you don't mind me asking? No worries. I was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, my sister went to Wake Forest undergrad, Wake Forest Medical School. She did a residency at the Baptist Center. So she's uh, very familiar with Wake Forest. I've been there many times. So I'm right near that area. Winston-Salem is a cool, is a cool town. Their downtown yep. is very interesting. It's well, like all that area has really, all that area has really exploded that way. My, uh, some of my family still lives in Surrey County, which Mount area where Andy Griffith was born. So you'll hear a slight accent. I can't get rid of it. No matter how many PhDs I get, doesn't matter. <laughs> You're still going to have that accent. It's adorable. Okay. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> um, so we're talking about um, staffing issues, right, at schools. This is not something that's um, just, we're just facing in Seneca Falls. This is something that's happening like across the board, right? Can you Absolutely. talk to me a little bit about what's going on and potentially why you think this is happening? Yeah, it, it's very interesting to me because um, I remember like, you know, when I was teaching, I just stopped teaching in 2015. So, you know, there were still plenty of jobs. There were some jobs that were always harder to fill. You know, there were certain subject areas that are unique, um, that required more expertise, like um, uh, English as a new language or Spanish or French. I've always noticed that certain positions always needed help. However, it seems to me that since COVID, with all the changes with the pandemic, that exasperated staff shortages, especially in certain areas like um, mental health supports, school psychologists, speech pathologists. We are still struggling here, particularly with English as a new language teachers still cannot find that particular, it's just dependent on the area, always need substitutes. And I know bus drivers have continuously been a issue for New York State. Um, we still have that need, especially when people were getting sick, you could wipe out five drivers, you need drivers. So I think, honestly, the pandemic from what I've seen has exasperated certain fields. Um, and I, I think I really see, at least at this district, um, you know, in a counseling or psychologist. Uh, so those specialized positions are seem the most difficult to fill right now. And they are. We're all buying for the same individuals and it's pretty tough. And so for you as a, as a superintendent, um, do you have to get creative now? Like, how do you go about coping with something like this? Yeah, well, it makes it very tough. I mean, we obviously have contractual or budgetary uh, limits, but um, starting to really look differently at how you interview, um, given people maybe who are 
more green, more opportunities. You know, not necessarily just looking at someone who's done this for five or 10 years, but really taking a look at those who think have potential. Um, so it's been more difficult and just expanding where you're looking for. You don't just wait for them to apply to you. Um, reaching out to the local colleges, hey, you have some students who want to be graduated in December, you know, or June or whenever in the middle of the year. So I think you have to just, you can't just wait for applicants to come to you anymore. You got to kind of say like, hey, this program is producing some great candidates. Reach out to them, go to job fairs, expand your belt a little bit, not just waiting for the old paper, people mailing in. Those sorts of things are out the door right now, to be honest. I think it's more um, really tapping into uh, newer experience. And I think schools are going to have to be a lot more creative because there are so many options for individuals. What can draw you to a district other than money? Um, I won't say names or anything, of course, but uh, I know if we've had a few applicants who said, sorry, I have to look at the bottom dollar right now because I have to make a choice for my family. So I get it. You totally get it. You still have, um, you still have, you know, roles that you have to fill. So it's, it, it's probably really challenging. Yeah, it's challenging. And I understand it's challenging for people as well, especially when you're in a smaller district, a little more remote um, than some districts. My last district was even more remote than this one, but you have the commitment to move to an area if it's not within a radius um, and if you have a spouse and family, you know, I think that makes that challenge even more. But really, I'm seeing more as like, uh, you know, education programs. I know they had a little dip in those who were going into education, but now I'm starting to hear there might be another uptick again. So, you know, if they don't even have candidates, then how do you fill positions? Are there positions that you can consolidate? Some you cannot. And hopefully, state aid will be a little more flexible. They have helped a little bit. At least during COVID, they had like the um, emergency certifications that would sort of speed things along but you know will that end this year i know there's some waivers for how long someone can sub is that going to go away so you know hopefully you know uh, education department will also understand those needs and help us in terms of flexibility now moving away from kind of staffing issues like what else is kind of top of mind for you right now yeah i think for a school to it again i'm a newer superintendent so six months into the position and this year, um, students were fully back for the first time after being hybrid. They started to come back last spring. But, you know, students are having to readjust themselves socially to in-person learning. I see that now in the mental health challenges. And I know this is not the first time you've heard this, um, that the challenges mentally, um, you know, are exhausting those who are working in counseling and those as well we're really tapping into our community a lot more and trying to get more community-based organizations to help out really it's still that mental health piece um people talk about um you know unfinished learning i don't like to say learning loss i like to say unfinished learning um we're starting we are seeing those gaps for students and just getting them here face to face has made a difference but i think students need that extra support now because the world has changed and now you're back and it's not just the social media which you still have but the face-to-face -face interactions i think students are struggling to get back into that and why do you think that is yeah i think some of that obviously attributed to i, I hate to keep going back to the pandemic but you know it, it kind of changed the way people feel like whoa this can really happen this can right. really happen our 
things can be restrictive. Education may have to flip on a dime and change. It's not tried and true like you always thought it would be. So I think that's exasperated, like I said, exasperated that. Uh, and I just think that that isolation probably didn't help a lot of students because they're very social, as you know. Uh, a lot of things we do in school is, is definitely academic, but that social piece uh, is absolutely critical as well. So you're building relationships with other individuals, not just teachers, but other students. And when you don't have that piece, not that they didn't, but it changes that dynamic when you're not together as a community. And I, I feel the difference when I, I'm Zooming versus being in a building. It's just not the same. No, it's not. And it's it's a lot of change that happened very quickly, I think, for a lot of it's not just for, for young people, it's for every, you know, for everybody. I think it's all people just readjusting and wondering, you know, rethinking kind of what's permanent, like what's gonna be, what's gonna is it something gonna change and then is that gonna be the new reality? It's you know, it it definitely changed a lot of things. Um, so uh in terms of resources you were talking about in the community um are there resources in the community like that are helpful beneficial are there is there more that can be done um from a community perspective or like how does that work with kind of getting everybody back and and helping everybody adjust and making sure that people's mental health is being looked at and students especially are you know paying we're paying attention and we're we're acting according to what we're seeing as educators, you know? Yeah, no, I see what you mean. And, and again, when I mean like community, like uh, community-based programming, like even mobile dental um, counseling services, we're working with organizations in the community through our uh, Office of Mental Health and our local department, uh, health department and mental health to really help us to bring in um, individuals who can help support, um, for example, some of our students need counseling. They needed that before the pandemic, but even more so now. So providing that in-school um, services is so that they don't have to necessarily drive somewhere um, and getting them here, that has made a huge difference in terms uh, of students having someone they can reach out to on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't have to necessarily schedule an appointment. They could be just go downstairs or go to the main office. So that that is one of the pieces. We do work with uh, individual who helps us to write grants. We're working with you know, local colleges like Finger Lakes Community College, uh, Northeast College of Health Sciences. We're all starting to have those conversations about, and I'm, they happened before I got here, but the need for those conversations are becoming more important. So yeah. we are well on our way to work with people. United Way, you name it, it's people are stepping up. Um, and that's one thing I admire about this community here. Oh, for sure. Finger Lakes Community College, they're very good. They're very, they're real cool over there. I've interviewed a couple of different people. Um, they really, they try to stay on top of like the, they try to keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening around them, which is very, very cool. Um, do you guys at, at Seneca, in Seneca Falls, do you have a school resource officer or or you don't? Yes, absolutely. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. Of course we do. Um, we do have one uh, full-time SRO and we have been meeting, I met with the town and our um, Chief Painstra, who's sadly going to be uh, going to a new role after this month, um, to add another one for the elementary specifically. So that addition um, would be a part-time officer. So they put out some flyers uh, for that position and some uh, job descriptions out on the websites and Facebook. 
but we're looking for more because that's also very beneficial and our current SRO, they love him. Students will go right to him. Um, he supports everyone, but that additional SRO, I think that need, not just for safety, it's more about that community building. Absolutely. They're comfortable going to him too and talking and, and trying to build some good relationships there as well. But we really are looking uh, and I'm hoping if anyone listens to this, that we would have another <laughs> resource officer apply because uh, I think that's made such a difference before I got here and I see it in action, but the possibility of having another who could, because the only one SRO can be in one place at one time across the four buildings. So yes. the additional SRO would be wonderful. The police department have been extremely helpful. It's a good community when you're in a situation like this and you're having some, I'm sure if you can hear the train outside very loud. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's all well and good. So people can look on the website, they can look on Facebook at job openings. Um, people who are, you know, maybe thinking, oh, well, I wouldn't qualify for that role. Maybe now you do qualify for that role because things have changed a little bit. Right. So, yeah. cause I, I know like um, growing up on Long Island my cousin actually, you know, trying to get a job on Long Island as a full-time teacher is, was, I mean, I've seen so many people try to do it and they're just, they're still full-time subs. So like when you have a place like Long Island, it's really hard to find jobs, but maybe some of those people want to think about relocating. Hey, we've got jobs in education up here. Like maybe you, you know, the cost of it's living beautiful. is lower. Why would you want to live here? It's beautiful. Seriously, like I, one of the things I loved about, you know, I was so lucky that I was the selected candidate. Yeah. But it, but it really is. I'm not just saying that, you know, it truly is a beautiful area. If you like lakes and lake, I mean, the canal lake, it's just beautiful in this, this whole area, all of Seneca County. And the cost of living up here is a lot more reasonable than it is downstate like in the tri-state area. So, you know, maybe it reaches people down there and <laughs> we could get yeah. some of those rural skills, but um, anything yeah. anything else that we need to know, um, any other information that you think would be helpful to put out there? Well, I just think that, you know, you have to have a right heart for education. You know, I went into education because I always love kids and I love teach. I always felt like a natural teacher growing up. Uh, but to me, it's like, you know, it's, I, I miss that excitement about just working with kids and children. Um, but I, I hope we'll get back there. I think right now it's just like, you know, education is a great occupation to pursue. It's still a great livelihood. Um, and like in a small community like ours, we take care of our own. It's like, if you love a small town community feel, I mean, it's you're gonna be welcomed. And I know our veteran teachers are really, really go out of their way to help our teachers who are new and try to keep them you know, connected. So they want to be in smaller towns, but, uh, to me, it's just like, you know, stay with education. It is worth it. <laughs> it is. And things are constantly changing, you know, like we, like we were just talking about. Um, so one final question I wanted to ask you, it looks like there, um, are some lawmakers considering a tax break for teachers. It says, um, because staff shortage has reached a crisis level. This is across New York state. Um, without knowing too much about that, this is something that I think has just kind of been thrown out there. I, I don't, there haven't been any decisions made um, about this. Would there, would you think that would be helpful if there was some kind of a tax break presented? Like, do you think that would be good? Yeah, I think, I think it would be good. Um, again, I know there's also talk about the 
you know, the waiving of, you know, student loans and things of that nature has been thrown out there as well, which um, just nationally, those kind of things, although I'm one of those people that paid every dime of theirs and you know, <laughs> a little sooner. But again, for teachers in an education too, because if you look at other occupations and salary ranges for professional occupations, you know, it's, it's not the highest pay. So I think a tax break would, if that would help, because really we're educating all those future occupations. So it all starts here. So to me, if that's going to help build those other professionals and other professionals in education, uh, that they should be considered. That is going to do it for this edition of Finger Lakes Today. Remember, for the latest breaking news, weather, sports, podcasts, download the FingerLakes1.com app. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great day.